Hi, it's really great to have you with us. I'm Rob Porter, my wife Heather and I have the amazing privilege of being the senior pastors at Kingdom Culture Church in Burpengary, Queensland. We have an incredible preaching team and I hope that this message will encourage and bless you as you listen. Let's look at 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. Before I do, while you get your Bibles open to that, because we love our Bibles. You know, I was listening to someone talk the other day who's been teaching in Bible college for years and years and years uh, at a college called Tabor. And they were telling me that um, their Old Testament class this year, it's the first time that they've had no, like literally no idea, sorry, New Testament, no idea where the book of Acts is because they're all using an app. I was like, we're going to lose something in this generation if we don't go kick it old school and pick up our Bible. So no condemnation, but bring it next week, yeah? Um, and we'll read that in a sec. But first of all, I, I want to introduce you to my family um, because that helps you put me in context. So this is my husband, Jai, the dashing tall one. Um, and then my eldest son, Noah Israel, he's about to turn 19. Yes, I had him when I was 10. Um, <laughs> then my second son, the hot dog on the right side, that's Cave Zion. Um, then River on the left, number three. And then my gift, Eden, Isabel, there, and they are beautiful. And then recently, we also added this to the family. This is our big protector, our fierce protector, Leo the lion. And I said to my husband, when you pick me up from the airport tomorrow, make sure you bring Leo. And he was like, any of the kids? I was like, no, just Leo. <laughs> Let's look at 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 23. I'm reading a lot of scripture tonight. But I know this church loves scripture, so let's do it. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the Meonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Can you imagine being described that way? Abraham, your friend, it's beautiful. Verse 8, And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they have avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? 
For we are powerless against this, against this great horde that is coming against us. Key verse. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. I love it in scripture. The only time he ever says, do not be afraid is right before something really scary happens. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. 18, everyone okay? Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were there to sing to the Lord and to praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. And they sang, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. We're going to take a moment to have a look at a video on a screen. So let's check it out. We've seen the images the past few weeks. Russia adding forces and military hardware, inching ever so close to surrounding their neighbor. While Ukrainians holding almost daily drills ready to defend their country. And yet, an image you've not likely seen. Ukrainian Christians deploy their own weapon, a shield of prayer and worship. The people are worried, but we encourage them to look to Jesus with all of our might, because only through prayer if we can keep peace in our country. Area pastors met Sunday night for a time of planning and prayer. 
many telling CBN News what's at stake for their country. Uh, this is ultimately a fight for freedom. Valery Marchenko's brother pastors a church in an eastern area occupied by Russian separatists. They're forbidden from having church meetings together, but they still do it secretly. And I think this is what will happen if Russia invades. But the truth is that it is impossible to stop the Church of Jesus Christ. And it's that church here in Libya that's continuing to preach hope and peace in the midst of uncertainty. How cool is that? Here we see a people worshipping in the midst of a war. And this is also what we see in our passage today. And as I was talking with the Holy Spirit this afternoon about what do, you, what do you want me to teach, I was actually debating with him, how could I bring a message on worship to this church? It's so incredible in your worship. And the Lord said, I want you to remind them that worship isn't just an encounter inside the four walls of church. Worship is warfare in your everyday life. You see, worship is a weapon that confuses our enemy. And when we choose to worship God, particularly in the midst of a battle, we actually make a choice that Satan or Lucifer did not and could not make. We actually know that Satan's original assignment was he was the first worship leader. He was the worship leader of heaven. His name was Lucifer, which means light bearer. And his role was to stand in the throne room of heaven to capture God's glory and to reflect it out to God's creation. His very being was iridescent. It was mirror-like. So it would capture God's doxa, his glory, and reflect it out. In fact, historians tell us that his body was made of a substance that created the sound of worship, like he had strings He could make all the sounds of choir and instruments. So capture God's glory, shoot it out to creation, and it made the sound of worship. And yet, in John 10.10, we read that Satan's current assignment is to steal, kill, and destroy. So how do you go from being an iridescent being that captures God's glory, shoots it out to creation in worship, to being a kleptomaniac? What happened in between? Well, Satan wanted the glory that he was intended to capture and reflect for himself. Pride entered his heart and he led a rebellion of evil angels that had now become demons and the war for our worship began. Pride destroyed his calling. Pride changed his assignment. Pride and worship cannot go together because worship is the laying down of our pride. Having pride in our hearts can actually change our assignment because the Bible teaches that God actively opposes the proud. My life is hard enough without having God pushing against my life because I've got a proud heart and a proud spirit. Ray Hughes said, if pride turned angels into demons, guess what it can do to you and me? So when we give our worship to God, 
When Satan is working very hard to destroy our life, it disorients him, it confuses him, and it wounds him in a way that none of our other spiritual weapons do because it's the very thing he has always wanted, worship. It's like pressing right on his weak spot. He wants your worship. He wants the glory for himself. So when you refuse his attack in the midst of a battle and you give glory and praise to God when it makes no sense, it gets him right in the guts. In the context of our passage, Jehoshaphat, what a brilliant name. He was a young king who was early in his reign and he had made some very significant judicial and religious reforms. Reforms that very much please the heart of God. Isn't it interesting that even though he made these reforms that pleased God's heart, he had an overwhelming number of enemies coming towards him, much larger than his own army. Why am I telling you that? You can be doing all the right things in your life and yet find yourself facing opposition. Has anybody ever fallen into that trap of, what have I done wrong that I'm facing this opposition? No, you can be doing all the right things and have an overwhelming army coming against you. So what does he do when faced with overwhelming odds? I love that verse three, he just says, it just says he was afraid. It's okay for us to be afraid at what is coming against us. That has no moral value in and of itself. It's what we do when we're afraid. And this is why we love this story because what he does is he sets his face He seeks the Lord. He calls a fast. That word we hate in church. We're going to fast. Oh, we're on a fast at church at home at the moment. Having a bit of a break from it this weekend, but don't tell anyone. (laughs) He calls a fast and he assembles all the people together. I love that. That in verse 13, which we read, it says that all Judah stood before the Lord, their little ones, their wives, their children. In other words, they were having church. They brought everyone together. They had church when they faced opposition. I'm sure there's no one at Kingdom Culture Church, the same way as there's no one at Numa Church, that the moment they face opposition, that I need to take a break. I've got to stay home from church. Oh, did I press on something? Sorry, I don't mean it. Actually, I do. When we're facing opposition, the place we should run is church. Not away from church. We need to get in the house. And when everyone was gathered, he began to pray. Verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. What was he doing? Why didn't he go straight into, oh my goodness, help? Why did he start by saying who God was? Brad actually modelled it perfectly tonight. He said, no, we're going to praise first. Let's lift high praises. What Jehoshaphat and what Brad were doing is Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Our scripture actually talks about verse 5, that Jehoshaphat stood on the edge of the new court. He stood there and he praised and then he could come into the presence of God. You see, when we go straight to those songs that are all about like I this and I that and I this and I that, what happens is we're actually worshipping out of position. If I could give you like a natural analogy, we haven't entered his gates, we haven't entered his courts. It would be like 
when the manifest presence of God was falling in here like it just was, but you're out on the footpath. That's what it's like when we don't enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise. So I always say to people, don't come late. Oh, please don't ever come late. Because if you come... Whoa, someone's beatboxing. That was cool. (laughs) Because if you come late, everyone else is going to have entered in. You're going to be like, why can't I feel it today? Because there was no thanksgiving and no praise. Those songs aren't the warm-up. They're not the bit we get out of the way. They're a very important part of what we do. You know, there's an Old Testament word for praise, which is the word halal. It's not just a halal snack pack, a HSP. It's actually a biblical word. Did anyone just get hungry? (laughs) And it means to praise by listing out and celebrating with claps and shouts the positive attributes or actions of God. You know, I saw um, Jasmine do this this morning. At the end of the song, she's like, come on, clap your hands and praise. That's not like, can you golf clap the worship team? That's not, can you rate and review whether you like that song? That's powerful. That's a weapon. So when a worship leader says to you, come on, let's clap our hands and let's praise God, they're inviting you to have a halal snack pack and to clap your hands and lift your praise to God and break something open in the atmosphere. What it does is it builds faith for what God will do in the future based on what he's done in the past. You see, the enemy has a very sneaky little strategy that I like to call destruction by distraction. Anyone else ever get distracted in worship? Anyone else ever like, love your Lord squirrel? (laughs) Or maybe I'm in in a young adult service where he's like, I love your Lord girlfriend. (laughs) I love your Lord hottie. (laughs) You see, what we fix our eyes on will determine the outcome. And this is why verse 12 is so important. It's like the pivot point of this whole account. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. Do you know I've discovered pride can never admit I don't know what to do. It's only a humble heart that says, I don't have the answers. I've got no idea. I'm making this up as I go along. But my eyes are fixed on you who has all of the answers. You know what would have been so easy for the old Jehoshaphat to fix his eyes on the natural, the armies? They were coming at him. He was standing on a high point. He could see them coming. But instead he turned and he set his face on God. I like to think about Peter. Peter in Matthew 14. The disciples, they're in a boat. They're moving to a new village. Jesus has been like up praying, doing his thing. Comes walking to them on the water. Everyone's freaking out. Oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And Peter's like, no, I think it's Jesus. And here's the bold one. He's like, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on water. And Jesus says one word, come. So Peter puts his foot out of the boat. He walks on water while his eyes are on Jesus. The word tells us that the moment he put his eyes on the wind and the waves, he began to sink and Jesus had to pull him up. You see, what we fix our eyes on will determine the outcome. It can be the difference between walking on water and sinking beneath. And worship in its simplest form is revelation and response. We make it so complicated sometimes. Healthy revelation, healthy worship life. 
Big revelation of who God is, big worship life. People ask me all the time, what do I do if I'm struggling in my worship life? I say, don't try harder, look longer. Even when I'm leading, I'm like, no, I don't have to stomp my foot and wave my hands faster, although I do all those things. I'm like, let's just stop and look. Because when we truly behold His face, our natural response will be to worship. And when all of Jehoshaphat and Judah, they're all together, they're praising, they're praying, they've been fasting, they've got their eyes fixed on God, and then the prophet speaks. Did you notice that when I read who this prophet was, it was very detailed. Verse 14 takes great length to describe who this prophet was. He's the son of the son of the son of the son of. Why? Because it was very unusual who the prophetic word came through. It wasn't a known prophet. It came through a singer. The prophetic word came through a singer. And the fact that it it takes great pains to tell us this means this didn't happen often. In fact, it could be our first precedent for it. The singer bringing the prophetic word. Do not be afraid. The battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm and hold your position. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. When our singers sing out... Can we not be like, oh, they're having a moment? Maybe, just maybe, they're bringing the word of the Lord. How do you want to posture yourself if God's speaking? If God walked right up to you right now, would you be like, yeah, sorry, kind of busy? Can when he sings over us, when he speaks over us, can we honour his presence and his word into our lives? I love this, that their response was that they fell down. The word here is the word hawa, means to fall down in worship, reverence and respect. What's really beautiful about this word is that it literally means to put our head below our heart. In other words, there's going to come a point in every believer's life where your logic has to bow to your heart connection with Jesus. If you have to understand everything, it's going to be difficult to worship. There comes a moment where we have to say, I lay down my understanding in worship and I worship you with my heart and understanding and perspective will come. I love that verse 18 to 19, everyone else is bowed down, doing hawa, faces on the ground, doing their thing. And then it says the Levites get up and they start making all this noise, banging their drums, banging their cymbals, clapping loudly. Can't you just imagine Uncle Johnny up the back? Why does it worship team always have to be so loud? Biblical. Shout to God, all the earth won't be quiet. So there's moments to shout to God, all the earth. And there's moments to behold in the still and in the quiet. And a well-balanced worship life, corporate worship life, has all of it. And we need to welcome all of it, not our personal preference. We're basing our preferences on the Word of God and it's all in there. You know, I've discovered that the heart of God loves a persevering worshipper who, when overwhelmed by troubles, is more overwhelmed by the love 
the beauty and the goodness of God. He finds that irresistible. What man finds illogical, God finds irresistible. What does Jehoshaphat do? He takes God at his word that he'll not need to fight, that God will fight for him. And then he sends the singers out at the head of the army. I know a lot of singers. I love them. But if I'm going into battle, probably not going to put them in front of me. Maybe my gym friends, not my singing friends. This is illogical, right? But God finds it irresistible. And they go out and they sing, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. What's so cool about this is it wasn't even a new song. This was a song that was sung under the ministry of David and under Solomon. It was like the shout to the Lord, shout to the Lord of the day. It was like the, I can't believe how good the Lord is of the day. You can't tell me there would have been people there like, oh, why this song? Are you joking me? I'm just going to let that sit. How many times do we come in church? Why this song? Are you joking me? Maybe that worship leader's prayed up. And maybe they've got the word of the Lord. This is the song of battle for today. (laughs) You're welcome, worship leaders. (laughs) And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men who had come against Judah and they were routed. They all helped to destroy one another. The coalition turned on one another in confusion because worship confuses our enemy. Have you ever wondered how many of your enemies that you didn't even know were coming have been ambushed when you stood in here and lifted your hands in worship? Here's a more sobering question. Have you ever wondered how many obstacles and holes you've fallen in because you came in here and went, why this song? Why so loud? Maybe it seems illogical to you to lift up a song because you're like, oh, Stacey, you haven't heard me sing. I'm doing everyone a favour. Do you know that the word says, make a joyful noise to the Lord? In a tribe that size, can't tell me there wasn't a tone-deaf row. That the Levites were like, can you guys just stand up the back, please? Of course there would have been. It's not about what it sounds like. It's about the posture of the heart that brings the breakthrough. In fact, I have a theory. The worse singer you are, the more illogical it is, the more irresistible it is to God. Now, it's a different thing if you want to join the worship team. But, (laughs) you know, I think of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. Beaten, thrown in a dark cell, restrained. What do they do? The logical thing, right? They pray and they sing. You know, there's a New Testament word. It's actually two words together for worship. It's proskuneo. It means to kiss towards. The picture would be of like a dog licking its master's hand. It's intimate. I don't know if you've ever tried to kiss somebody on the other side of the room 
it's awkward. It's weird. doesn't really work. You've got to, like, blow a kiss. Jesus has done everything so that you can come up close and personal, intimate relationship, and kiss towards him. And this is what Paul and Silas were doing. They were simply loving on God. I don't think they sang because they were like, well, if we sing, he'll bust us out of prison. They were just singing because they loved him. They were just singing because they couldn't hold it in. They were just kissing towards their saviour. It was illogical, but to God, it was irresistible. And he came down into their prison cell and he set not only them free, but everybody else around them free too. You know, no matter what you're locked up in today, and there are people I know who feel restricted and contained in their life today, can I ask you to consider that your breakthrough may be on the other side of a song? Bill Johnson said the entire realm of darkness could be forever wiped out with one word. But God chose to defeat Satan through those made in his own likeness, those who will worship God by choice. Worship makes room for the miraculous intervention of God in our lives. It was a song in our passage that moved the heart of God to intervene. It was prayer and a song in that prison cell. And we know that worship is so much more than a song. I'm all about worship is our whole lifestyle. But sometimes I feel like we Romans 12 won the church. Like, it's my whole life as a living sacrifice, and it is. But sometimes in the process of that, we diminish the power of a song. It's biblical that singing a song can bring breakthrough. And I don't know how you feel about worship today. I mean, this is a house of magnificent worship. But I want to ask you, have you ever considered that if you've tried everything else, maybe you need to stand and face that thing and sing at it? One of my favourite things about the fact that it was a group of singers at the front of the army that brought victory for everyone that it was Paul and Silas that set everybody free, is thinking about this. When I sing up the back of the room, I could bring breakthrough to the brother up here. When I pray up there, I could bring breakthrough for the sister up here. Your worship is not only for your breakthrough. It's for breakthrough on the lives of people around you. There is a reason that the barren woman was commanded to sing. Isaiah 54, one to two. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing, cry aloud, you who have not been in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. This passage is a metaphor, but I want you to notice something here. This barren woman was commanded to add a room onto a home that she already couldn't fill. She was commanded to put an extension on her house for a baby she didn't hold. The metaphor is sing while you wait for the promise. 
sing while you wait for the restoration. Sing while you wait for the miracle. It's easy to lift a song when you got your breakthrough. It's not so easy to sing your way to your breakthrough. You know, I, I preach on this not like it's theory. Because in my life, God has brought me back to a song over and over and over and over again. There's been many moments where I don't feel like leading worship. I don't feel like singing worship. And it's been in those moments that the Holy Spirit has come and gently said to me, are you the real deal? Because that's sorted out when nobody else is looking. When there's nobody else to say, come on, lift your hands. Applaud you when you're singing well. Clap your preaching. It's when it's just you and Jesus. I remember when I was a teenager, my parents' church had just split over a prophetic word. People who we'd loved with all of our hearts stopped talking to us overnight. My dad was out of a job. Our family ended up separating states. It was terrible. I spent the next few years doing whatever I wanted, running away from God and from the church. And I'll never forget the day the Holy Spirit came close to me. Will you sing your way back to me? And while nobody else was looking, I went and sat at my piano. I'll never be the same again. I'll never return. Because I've closed the door. And I will walk the path. I will run the race. And I will never be the same again. And I sang my way back to God. A number of years later, laying on the couch, second miscarriage. First one, quite a long way on, traumatic. First one, I was like, okay, bad things can happen to good people. Second one, I was like, okay, what the heck? Laying on the couch, God says, go to the piano and sing to me. So I, this is the last thing I want to do. Can you sing, O barren woman? So I went and sat at my piano. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name. And led that song in our church three days later. Fast forward. Four kids, six and under. Woo! <laughs> Sitting on the tiles in the kitchen like, oh, God. <laughs> is this all there is? <laughs> and it comes close. If the only four people you ever worship lead again is these four babies, is that okay? So I took them sat them around the piano stool, literally took their hands, taught them how to raise their hands, and I taught them this song. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things I could do. God, I look to you. And you're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do, yeah. 
last year. Sick of COVID. <laughs> Vanjie you can come and join me. I was so sick of COVID. Sitting in the car park, about to go in and record another service. Like, God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> Stacey, can you sing in faith for the people who aren't in the room today? Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. That song brought so much breakthrough in our church. Now, I didn't sing them for the breakthrough. I sung them in the break. The through came years later. You don't know what you're singing for tonight, but I'm going to tell you God's faithful every time. And I want everyone to stand to their feet with me because there is no other response for us tonight than to worship. If we've ever doubted the power of worship, hear me loud and clear tonight, worship is a weapon. And there are moments of encounter in this church that will change and mark your life. But the greatest moments of breakthrough will come when nobody's looking. When you're in your kitchen on the ground going, is this all there is? When you're laying, grieving, I'm barren, God, I've served you my whole life. Where are you? And singing in that moment, that's where who you really are is tested. And so I wonder if we could just spend the next few minutes forgetting about everybody else around you. And I want you to take the thing that's weighing on your heart right now. That error you just can't get breakthrough in and you've prayed at it. You've written it up on your fridge. You've quoted Joyce Meyer over it. You've had your friends lay hands on you, but maybe you just haven't sung over it. Maybe your breakthrough is on the other side of tonight's song. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I'm all GG. Well, someone else in this room isn't. And if you lift a song of faith, maybe you'll bring their breakthrough. So for the next few minutes, we're not looking at anyone else. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as the team leads us, can we fully enter in? Can we get a fresh revelation of who our God is and then offer fresh worship? Because worship is a weapon. So God, thank You. Things are breaking off tonight in Jesus' Name. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's message. Our hope is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, we'd like to invite you to begin your journey with Him today. When we read Scripture, we see that sin separates us from God, but that our relationship with God is restored by salvation through Jesus Christ. This happens because God gave Jesus His Son to die in our place, to deal with the sin problem, and He rose again so that we can have eternal life with Him. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we can know salvation today. If you're ready to do that and turn from a life of sin, then pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. 
If you've prayed this prayer for the first time today, we would love to know and reach out to you and support you. So please contact us at hello at kingdomculturechurch.com.au.